Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you here online as you've tuned in with Christian Family Chapel. Uh, In case you don't know who I am, I am Ryan Jorgensen. I get to serve as associate pastor here at the church, and I also get this opportunity to lead us in continued worship of Jesus Christ through the pages of the Bible. So with that said, would you open your Bibles? Uh, Maybe you have one on the shelf there at home. Maybe blow off the dust if that needs to happen. Uh, Maybe also just on a device, there's a million and one apps of the Bible. Just download those and uh, turn to the first book of the Bible, easy to find. We're gonna be in chapter six. And so find your way there. Um, I also want to say as you're finding your way there, remind you that we have a question and answer time at the end of service. So there's a number on the bottom of the screen right now, and you don't have to wait till the end of the sermon to do that. Uh, You can just go ahead and text those in as as we go through. And it can be anything about the sermon, about Genesis 6, specifically where we're going to be, and we'll do our best to answer those at the end of service. Um, also, uh, one final thing as we talk about this, if you notice, as we've been going through the book of Genesis, we've been learning all about what? The beginning of all things as we know it in this world. Well, as we get to Genesis 6, what we're going to find, we're going to be introduced to a person who uh, even most Americans, even if you don't go to church, you've heard of this guy's name and his name is Noah. Maybe you've heard of him. And so we're going to learn a lot about him and about what happened in his day. But right out of the gate, here's something we're going to learn. We're going to learn a few global facts about mankind that were the same in Noah's day as they are today. And so with that, here's one if you want to take some notes. We learn this, is that mankind will progress civilly while digress morally. We're going to continue as a species to progress civilly while we digress morally. Uh, Let me explain. By the time you get to Noah in Genesis 6, And you go back to Adam and Eve, the first humans, it's been about 1,656 years. And in that time span, what we learn back in Genesis 4 is that uh, the descendants of Adam and Eve continue to grow in multiplication, but they also grew in what we call civilization. For instance, in Genesis 6, we learn that mankind began to learn, learn things like animal husbandry, metallurgy, music, and poetry. And we know it's not an exhaustive list because that's not what Genesis 4 is all about. Uh, But it just seeps out. Now, how in the world are they growing in these things over that period of time? Where does that even come from? Well, that actually comes from even farther back. When you go to Genesis 1 and 2, we learn that when God made the human race and the first people, Adam and Eve, is that he made us special compared to every other creature that he made. And that is this. He made, you and I, even today, all of us, we are made in the image of God. And a couple of the aspects of what it means to be made in the image of God is one, we can learn and obtain knowledge to much greater degrees than any other creature that God has made on the planet. Additionally, another aspect of the image of God is that we can take that very knowledge and we can build and create things bigger, grander, and so forth than any other creature in the universe. 
For instance, this came out actually through my seven-year-old daughter the other day. I have a uh, casting tool that I use to get the screen from my computer up onto the TV screen. And, uh, what, and what it does is it rotates through these pictures that people take around the world. Well, I was in a different room while that was going, and all of a sudden I heard my seven-year-old daughter go, wow. And so I ran into the room to see what, what caught her attention, and it was one of the pictures. Specifically, the picture was this. It was the skyscrapers of a modern downtown city somewhere far away from where we're at here. And, and, and what it was is specifically she was amazed by the ingenuity, by the size and the grandeur of these buildings in this city. Now, what or who made that city? Well, it wasn't animals. I can tell you that. It wasn't elephants didn't make the city. It was what? It was human beings. Well, how did humans do that with ingenuity and creativity and, and ability to build? Well, again, it comes back from the fact that we are made in the image of God. And, and so that's some facts about us. Well, also what we know is that we continue to grow in civilization. We continue to grow in our knowledge. Uh, for instance, we're smarter. We know more now as a mankind than we did, let's say, 3,000 years ago. Uh, we know more than we did even 100 years ago. Let me uh, run through a few things we've learned uh, compared to what we used to think. Here, here's one. Uh, maybe you've seen something like this before. We used to believe that the earth was flat. Now, I did just meet a new friend uh, recently that, that I know that there are still some who believe it's flat, but I'm just going to say this with all love and respect. It's not. We live on a globe, all right? Uh, here's another thing that we uh, have learned differently. Uh, what is this? Well, I can tell you what it's not. It's not a planet anymore. When I grew up, and in our science books, this was a planet. It was called Pluto. Uh, I guess it's not a planet now, and so we know different. Um, by the way, let me just say this with all love, but uh, if you ever meet a scientist who kind of carries himself or claims that science is always just hard fact, never wrong, just kindly remind them that scientists got a whole planet wrong. Uh, that's kind of a big deal if you ask me. So why don't we just all eat some humble pie today? All right, here's another thing we've learned differently. Uh, from the 1500s to the 1800s, people used to think that California was an island. You can find map after map in history that this is what they thought up to the 1800s. Obviously, we know that's not true. Now, I know some of you might be sitting there thinking, I wish California was an island. But that's a different point for another day and another conversation. Uh, here, here's one more final thing that uh, we used to think different. Uh, in an area of the world, people used to believe that Brussels sprouts were possessed by demons. Fact. Uh, now, let me just say this. I might jump on the bandwagon and at least say there's something diabolical about Brussels sprouts. All right? But the point is this. We grow in knowledge as mankind in civilization. How about this? With that knowledge, do we grow in our ability to create and to build things? You better believe it. It's just a few things that came to my mind. Um, you know, we used to live in caves uh, when we started off and so forth. But today we take the stone and the metals from the caves and we build skyscrapers half a mile into the sky right? Here's another one. The human lifespan in America in the year 1900 was 47 years old. 
But because of our knowledge and growth in medicine and so forth, we have added 32 years to the average lifespan in the last 120 years. Our average lifespan is now 79 years old. Uh, Here's another one we've grown. Because of infertility medicine, uh, millions of couples around the world now have some hope of having children when before, other than a miracle of God, uh, it was never going to happen. You see, I can go on and on and on today about the advances of civilization that we continue to grow in. And so that's what happened in Noah's day. That's what's happening in our day. Um, Now, if you think about this, if that's how it happens, that we're going to continue to grow in advance, shouldn't we get to what we call a utopia? in this world, where there's no more pain, no more problems, no more poverty, no more crime, we're fixing everything. I mean, you would think so, it kind of makes sense. Uh, There's a lot of people throughout history who have believed that we can obtain a utopia. Maybe you've heard of John Lennon. He he wrote a song, maybe you heard of it, Imagine. And by the way, the Brits have voted it the number one song of all time. And in that song, here's some of his lyrics. He writes, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy for you to try. No hell below us, above us, only the sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And the song goes on talking about no religion, no possessions. It's a universal brotherhood and so forth. And there's been a lot of people throughout history that have believed this even till today, that we can obtain a utopia. Uh, usually they uh, tend to be called Marxists, and they form governments called communism. But that's actually not all there is. There's people in all sorts of places. Um, just in this pandemic, there were a bunch of celebrities who filmed themselves on Instagram singing this very song, and they weren't all from communist countries. So um, can we obtain a utopia? But I want you to hear really clearly is that, yes, mankind will progressively become we're made in the image of God, but here's another important fact is that mankind will continue to digress though morally. And it's what happened in Noah's day. And now this is the time we're going to look into the passage. So again, I want to remind you that you're going to get so much more out of the sermon if you're looking in the Bible for yourself. But here's Genesis 6 chapter 1. We're looking for how bad it got in Noah's day. It says this, Now, it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land. Now, right there, if you want to write in your own Bible, men, you want to maybe write the word humans. You're going to see why. So these humans, these men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters uh, were born to them. That the sons of God. Now, right there, you need to write the word demons. That's right. That's not a glitch glitch on the internet. I said that. Write the word demons. Now, let me explain to you why we believe that the sons of God in this passage are demons. A couple reasons. One, everywhere in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, every time the phrase sons of God is used, is used for either angels or demons, never for humans. Then when you read places like Job chapter 2, verse 1, it specifically says that Satan and the sons of God were coming and talking to God. It was talking about demons were coming and talking to God. Then you add to that this fact that historical Judaism, which is where we get the Old Testament, they're they're the ones that gave it to us, they have always interpreted this passage as demons. Now, what are the demons do? Continue to read on. Well, it says that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. 
So, what's going on here? We have demons entering into a special relationship with humans. I'm going to let the parents at home, you explain that to the level you want to. But the rest of us all know what's being talked about. Now, there's a couple theories that's going on here. Either this. Demons are taking physical human form and having these special relationships. And that's very possible. Satan took a form of what? A snake in Genesis 3. Angels throughout the Bible, take human form and walk and talk with humans. So it's very possible that that is what was going on. Or the other theory is that demons were possessing human men and then entering into relationships that way. Either way, the point is this. Demons are directly getting involved with people because people want it in these special ways. And so what does God say about that? Uh, Look at it, verse 3. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not strive or fight with man forever because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. You see, in other words, God is saying, I am sick and tired of these humans, these creatures. Yes, I've made them in my image, but here they are going all the way to this level of depravity doing, you know what, with demons, right? We have to understand the level of this depravity. This is not stealing pencils or cheating on taxes, all right? This is pretty low uh, level of sin. And so it doesn't stop there. Let's go on. What continues to happen? Verse four, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And so apparently offspring is now coming from these special relationships relationships. And, uh, you know, there's different theories. Some people think that these are like half human, half some monster type people. We don't know, but here's what we do know is they were mighty men and they were the offspring of these relationships. Well, God then summarizes the depravity, the digression of morality in Noah's day in verse five. Look at this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And that, get this, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you hear that? Like, people are no longer thinking of ever serving or loving other people or serving or loving God. They are all about themselves. They're all about their sin. They're all about evil. And so what does God say in response? Verse 6 That was not it. Verse six, it looks like we don't have it. I'll read it for you here. My fault. It says, the Lord was, get this, sorry that he had made man on the earth and that he was grieved in his heart. You see, this is a really sad moment. See, you might not know this, but you know the reason God made people in his image is because he wants to have a friendship with us. Did you know that? This actually comes out in Genesis earlier on in chapter 3. It says that God would walk in the garden with Adam and Eve because he wants a friendship with us. And so it's a very, very sad day when God is sitting there looking at all the image bearers of God on the planet at one time. He's only seeing evil. And he says, I'm sorry that I ever made them. It's a very sad day. And see, you guys... The same thing is going to continue to happen in our day. Yes, we're going to progress civilly, but we are going to continue to digress 
morally. We are not going to get to a utopia. You say, how do you know that? Well, I don't know that in myself, but God actually has told us the future, the future. And so listen what God says about what's going to happen with mankind. Uh, Here's 2 Timothy 3. Uh, God says this, but realize this, that in the last days, and we are 2,000 years closer to the last days than when this was written, so we're getting there more and more. In the last days, difficult times will come. And here's where mankind's going to get. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless. You guys hear in a utopia? I'm not hearing one, right? Reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And of course, God says, hey, avoid such people and don't be those kinds of people, right? But what we hear here is is not a utopia. We're hearing we're digressing in morality. That's what's going to continue to happen. Well, that actually leads then into another global fact about mankind. There's a connection that as mankind uh, continues to progress civilly, that we're going to digress morally. And, and here's the next fact. It was the same in Noah's day as it is for us today. And that is this. You might want to write it down. The more man becomes self-sufficient, uh, the more he becomes what? Self-worshipped, if you will. Let me explain. I know this is a general statement. There's always exceptions to the rule, but in Noah's day, the more they grew in civilization, they became more self-sufficient, and then they stopped needing God, not stopped seeking after God, and in a sense became all about themselves and what they wanted. Why? Because they're pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps. They no longer need a God because they're progressing and so forth. And see, this is actually something Jesus actually talked about. In, in Matthew 19, Jesus says this. He says it's easier, get this picture, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a what? A rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. The more rich someone gets, which is self-sufficient, and usually what does civilization uh, bring? What does increased knowledge bring? It bring, brings more stuff. That's how it happens. And the more that we get more stuff, the more we get self-sufficient, there's this thing called pride that can come in. And pride can come in, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, we're saying, well, we don't need God so much. We can kind of do things on my own and, and even get to the point where we say, we don't even believe in a God anymore. I know there might be some people right now, you might want to debate this point with me, and I'll just say this, I used to study history before God called me into ministry, and I'm telling you, you study, generally speaking, the more civilized a people group gets, the less religious they become, unless there's a religion that suppresses people by force, there's always those exceptions, but if they have any free will and, and, and so forth and at all, they go away from God the more they progress. For instance, uh, we need water for our crops. Well, we'll build our irrigation systems. We don't need to ask a God for rain. We need to fix a disease and, and so forth in our bodies. We can go to medicine and improve that. We don't need to ask a God to heal us. Uh, we need protection and security. We can make better weapons and security systems. We don't need to ask a God to protect us. And none of those things are bad at all. Those are actually results of being made in the image of God. But what happens is we get self-sufficient and then pride comes in and we're like, you know what? We can do this on our own. We don't need to serve some God. We can do this 
on our own. Can I just confess something since we're in church today? Uh, As a Christian, even as a pastor, I have found in my life, the more I have become self-sufficient, the temptations increase that I don't seek after God as much. The temptations increase that I can kind of like do things on my own. And pride creeps in. And in a sense, I begin to worship myself and what I want and not what God wants. You know, even in this pandemic, this global pandemic, think about this. Uh, we've heard on the news what people are, gun sales are going out the, out the wazoo. People are buying security systems. People are buying medical gear. People are taking cash out and hiding it. And let me say all of this. All of that is good. You want to, I want you to hear me on that. That's actually biblical wisdom stuff there. And I hope a lot of you are doing those things. But here's the question. Are we seeking after God though? Are we looking to God or are we doing this? I'm taking matters into my own hands and I don't need God. You see, and that's what happens so often, but I want you to hear a really important point. The reality is this, is that we can progress so much that we can remove almost any physical need that exists in this planet. But there is an infinitely greater need that every human being has, that none of that will ever touch. And that is we have a spiritual need, that we are not right with our maker. And it's because of this thing called sin. Maybe you've heard of it. Let me tell you what sin is. Sin is a rebellion against our maker. And we're all born with it because we get it from Adam and Eve. It's been passed down to every human. In fact, that's what explains why there's evil in this world and why we're never going to get to a utopia is because of sin. And this sin is, it's twofold. It's if I need a savior, if I need help, I'm my self-savior. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm it and I can take care of things on my own. And, and, and you know what? I'm also my own Lord. God isn't my savior. God isn't my Lord. I'm going to live life the way that I want to. And the Bible says there's nothing we can do to get rid of this sin on our, on our own. Well, what's the result of sin? What's the, what's the big point about sin? What, what does it cause? Well, God actually tells us this in Romans 6.23. The wages or the consequence of sin is death. And there's actually two deaths or if you will, two judgments. The first is that we're going to physically die. That's ultimately what causes death, sin. It's not the cancer. It's not the car wreck. Those are effects that all come from this thing called sin that has messed up our world. But it's not just a physical death. The Bible also teaches there's a second death that's coming after we leave this world because we're all made with souls. And there's a place called hell where we will go forever separated from God because of sin And that leads to a third global fact about mankind, the same thing that was in Noah's day, same thing for us, and that's this, is that there's a final judgment that's coming. There's a final judgment that's coming. Well, in Noah's day, in what we just read, does the final, does a judgment come out? Well, it does. Maybe you missed it. Let me show you here in verse three. Uh, it says that the Lord uh, says, my spirit's not going to strive with man forever because he's also flesh. Uh, now here it is. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. Mankind's days will be 120 years. What, what's he talking about? Well, if you skip down to verse seven, uh, you're going to see that he gives more detail. He says, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. 
You hear that? In other words, God is saying that I'm going to give 120 years to mankind until I'm going to end evil by ending mankind. Then as you read in Genesis 6, verses 8 through 12, it's actually a breath of fresh air. God talks about the only family on the planet that is actually humble and actually seeking after God. That's Noah and his family. But then you pick back up in verses 13 and 14, and God gives even more specific details of the judgment that was coming to every person on the planet in those days because of their sin. And he's talking to Noah and he says, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with what? With the earth. So he's going to use something in the earth to bring this judgment. And then he says this to Noah, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You say, what's an ark? That's a big boat. Basically, that's the first cruise ship that was ever made right there. God is saying this, I want you to make a boat because I'm going to bring a global judgment by a global flood because of global sin. And as we're going to see next week in Genesis 7, or in a couple of weeks from now in Genesis 7, we're going to see that God fulfills that promise and he floods the world and he ends the rampant evil. Now, I want you to hear me really clear on this. Just like in Noah's day, there was a judgment coming. The same thing for you and I today, there is a judgment coming in this world and in the next, okay? Because of our sins, we're not gonna get a utopia. Uh, and so, in fact, the apostle Peter, he writes and he connects the first judgment, this one in Noah's day compared to the next. Check this out. He says, by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was filled, formed out of water and by water. Now listen to this. Through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. He's talking about Noah's day. But then this is the part for you and I today. This is the relevant part more than ever. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with the roar and the elements will be destroyed with not water next time, but what? With intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. The first judgment of the world was by water. God says the second judgment is gonna be by fire. And why is it? Because of our sin. I know right now, some of you are saying, man, I thought I tuned into church today to get an encouraging word and to get uplifted in the middle of this pandemic. Why are you being so down and doom and gloom? I know there might be some others of you that, well, I'll just say this first of all, for the first group, hang in there, there's some good news coming, okay? But maybe as others of you, you're sitting there saying, you know what, see, here it is, another pastor and all these Christians and their Bible. And all this doom and gloom, it's just fear tactics. That's all you guys do. You just do fear to get people to do what you want them to do. And, you, and I, I, I can understand why you would think that if you don't believe that this is true. I can get that. But can I just say something really quick, if you don't mind, and hear me out? 4,300 years ago, God gave mankind on the planet 120 years warning of a judgment that was coming. And he gave them a way out. He gave Noah the instructions to build a boat so they can get on it and save their lives. But you know what the people did? They thought Noah and his family were crazy. They're building a cruise ship on dry land and there's never been a global flood before. 
They thought he was crazy. And I know right now you might think as Christians in the Bible, we're all doom and gloom and crazy people. But that's what they thought. And look what happened to them. Look how it ended for them. It doesn't have to end that way for us. And here's the good news. You want to be lifted up today? The reality is there's judgment coming. But there is good news. That God loves us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, 2,000 years ago to get this. Save us not just from the coming judgment of the fire of this world, but the, also the eternal fire of the place called hell. He has made it possible for us to be saved from both. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he died a death that, that makes it possible for our sins to be forgiven. No matter how many, no matter how deep they are, we can be forgiven because of Jesus. In other words, we, we, we have a boat that you and I can get a ticket for today. And his, his name is Jesus. He's made it possible for us to do that. Right now, I hope and I pray that maybe someone is watching right now. You're sitting there and you're hearing all of this and you're saying, you know what? If I'm just honest with myself, I don't think I'm on the boat of Jesus, but I want to. How do I do that? I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you how. When you study the Bible, it's a two-part decision. Here it is. We need to repent and believe in Jesus for our salvation. And of course, as I said, it's before it's too late because there is a clock ticking, either the end of my life by however which way I die, or there's a final judgment coming to this world by fire. Either way, there's a clock ticking. And here's how we get on the boat of Jesus, repent and believe. Let me explain what those two things are. Uh, repentance, sorry, repentance is this. It's to say, God, I, I'm a sinner. I own that and I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? And it's to turn away from my sin and to say, Jesus, from now on, I'm going to try to live for you. That's what repentance is. Are we willing to repent? The belief, what is that? It's to believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. But it's, it's, it's even more than that. It's to believe that what he did is enough to forgive you. That you don't have to also continue to try to be good to earn your salvation and your ticket to get on the boat of Jesus. Do we believe that Jesus is enough? If we're willing to repent and believe, God says, right there, I will forgive you from all your sins. And I will give you, if you will, the ticket that I'll save you from this wrath here into the final one into eternity. And instead, you can come live with me. Can I share with you a story? A true story about a guy who grew up in the 50s and 60s. And uh, he actually grew up in a home with seven siblings. It's a very dysfunctional family. Mom was an alcoholic. Uh, dad was negligent, among other things. His brothers, uh, he would fight and go through walls all the time. Uh, extreme poverty, completely unchurched, had nothing to do with God. And so when this one man, he gets to his upper teens, he's thinking, heck with all of this, I want a better life. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm going to ditch this poverty and I'm going to have a great life. And sure enough, he did. He started in Wisconsin, it's where he lived, imagine this. He was packing cheese in a cheese factory, right? So classic. But he started working with minimum wage there in a factory and by his own hard work, worked himself up to be the manager of a whole factory. It's amazing. It's the American dream. 
The whole time, didn't need God, didn't want God. He got married. Now here's what it is. The whole time though, God was seeking him. And God was doing different things to try to break him from his self-sufficiency and pride and so forth to get him humbled. And uh, finally it happened. Here's what happened. His wife got pregnant. Now you might say, well, how does that break someone? Well, they already had two children at this time. And then the wife got her tubes tied. Then all of a sudden she got pregnant. And if you know anything about that world, that's a miracle. And all of a sudden this guy realized I've been trying to control my life and I can't control everything. Look at that. And then the deeper need came up. He's like, I realize, I, I know I have sin and I'm never going to fix that myself. And he cried out to Jesus and believed in Jesus and repented of his sins. And he's never been the same. And that guy happens to be my dad. God has changed my dad's life. And so I, I just want to plead with you right now. If you're sitting there living life and trying to do everything on your own and all of this and, and you're not crying out to God, you're never going to be able to fix the deeper, greater problem of sin. But Jesus has fixed it for you. Believe in him, repent of your sins, and be saved today. If you have more questions about this, feel free to text that line, that, that number we have. We'd love to answer those. If you pray and you give your life to Christ, please let us know too. We want to hear about that. Now, uh, let me wrap this up. There's a couple points what happens? We've got our ticket, praise God, right? We've got our ticket. We're on the boat. We've been saved. What do we do now? Do we just hang on to our ticket and just wait for God to bring us home? No. Jesus has given us instructions of what to do, just like Noah. You see, Noah was a preacher of the gospel to his people, telling them to get saved. The same thing for you and I. Uh, hold on. We got to get, there it is. Uh, we need to share what? This good news of Jesus. We can be saved and also, again, before it's too late, there's a clock ticking for everybody's life and for this world. We need to get out there and share the gospel. Now, let me tell you, we've been talking a lot about similarities between Noah's day and ours, but let me tell you an awesome difference, okay? Uh, how many converts did Noah and his family have when they were sharing the good news for 120 years? Zero. I'm so thankful that's not the same for us. Here's actually what Jesus says. When you and I, Christians, when we go tell people about this good news of the gospel, Jesus says, the harvest is what? Plentiful. What's he talking about? He's saying that as you go and share with your neighbors and your loved ones and your family members and so forth, that, that I am going to save a lot of people if you would just go share the gospel. I hope that encourages you and I, right? And so let's make sure that we're sharing this good news with those that we love so they can be saved before it's too late. But then finally, if you also notice in this verse, he says the harvest is plentiful, but the what? The laborers are few. The, those of us that are carrying the gospel, there's, there's not enough of us because there's gonna be so many people that need to hear the gospel and be saved. And he says, therefore, beseech. That's a fancy way to say, seek the Lord, pray to the Lord of the harvest, what? To send out laborers into his field, into his harvest. In other words, guys, we also need to ask God for a great awakening. We need to say to God, God, uh, we want you to, to, first of all, mobilize us as God's people and make sure we're sharing the gospel with people around us. But even also, God, we're asking that you would move in a powerful way and that you would um, save people. 
that you would open people's eyes, the eyes of their hearts, and that you would bring a great awakening, if you will, in our day. I mean, imagine this with me. We're in a global pandemic. Wouldn't it be awesome if God used this pandemic that's causing people to think, whoa, maybe not everything is safe. Maybe not everything is secure. And, and, oh, and all of a sudden they start realizing, I need God. And it wouldn't be awesome if God were to do a great awakening because we, as God's people, we who have the ticket to the boat of Jesus, that we in love go and say, hey guys, there's a coming judgment coming. But God has made it possible for you to be saved. In fact, will we just close right now? I wanna pray right now for God to do a great awakening in those in our lives. I want everybody, even if right there, if you're with your family, just gather as a family if you want. But I want all of us to think about who's one person, uh, even if you're 10 years old, maybe who's one person, as far as you know, you don't think they know Jesus. And just have them in your mind as we pray right now. Lord Jesus, we just wanna, first of all, just thank you so much that you died on the cross and you rose from the dead to forgive us. We are so unworthy. We are so morally depraved but you are amazing and you are good and we worship you for that. But Lord, now we also just pray that you would help us as your people to, to be willing to love others by going and sharing this gospel with them and having these spiritual conversations. And Lord, we are calling upon you. We're reminding you of your own word there in Luke, Jesus. You said the harvest is plentiful. God, we are praying for a great awakening in our neighborhoods and in our city here and in our nation here and, and literally around the world. God, would you use a global pandemic to awaken the souls of F so many people and that they would cry out to you and they would enjoy this amazing relationship with you, Jesus. Would you move, oh God, we pray in your name. Darkness runs for cover When you move No one's turned away Where you are Fear turns into praises And where you are
and seek the Lord to move in our hearts. So praying for that for you today and the rest of the day and the rest of this week that we would seek after him, knowing and trusting that when he moves, lives get changed, orphans find homes, um, all those things that we just sung about. I hope that um, encourages you today. Glad that you joined us today. Grateful for the word from Ryan. I want to invite you. We're going to take about a 60-second break like we've done in the the past few weeks. We're going to do a live Q&A. Some of you have already sent in some questions. We thank you for that. If you have some questions you'd like Ryan and Jonathan to talk through, um, they'd be glad to do that. Just send send them to that text number at the bottom of the screen. And we're going to take a few minutes. You don't have to do anything. Just keep the, keep the video rolling, and we'll be back in just a little bit. I'm glad you're here with us.